Welcome to the European Hockey Federation podcast. In conversation with the biggest names in hockey, generating insight and engagement around coaching, officiating and playing. Presented by Chuck Rolf, the founder of the Coaching Lab and supported by IFAH Academy. For this episode, we will hear story from Sarah Kelleher, coach of Hampstead and Westminster Hockey Club, how to consult, learn and perform in hockey. Over to Jack. Sarah Kelleher, welcome to the European Hockey Podcast, Series 3. Great to have you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. A real, real pleasure to be here today and spend some time with you talking about this uh, great sport of ours that we all love, hockey. Absolutely. And we've got a few areas of focus, which I'm quite excited about and had a bit of insight before. So, you know, I'm excited to share some of that. Um, I think there'll be plenty to take away uh, for players, coaches and, and everyone get involved. And I think particularly for clubs around how they can shape their programmes. But how come we got you on? Why are you here? How come you, you're Sarah Kelleher on the European Hockey Podcast? Well, um, I suppose if we look at my journey as both a hockey player and then into coaching, and then there's a, lo a lot to share that I, I can bring through that, that hopefully can connect with a lot of different coaches, depending on where they are on their journeys. So I played hockey for Ireland for the best part of 10 years, captain the side, and then got really interested in, you know, while I was playing, I was always interested in, you know, what was the difference between unlocking the potential in one player and another player? And even when I came over to UK to play my hockey here, why was one player who I saw maybe had similar talent to another was able to unlock that and, I, and just became fascinating with different coaching environments. So I went away and studied NLP, which essentially is the study of excellence and thought, okay, let's go into the world of coaching, hockey coaching, and see if I could really support teams and people to, to grow and potential. And so I started right at kind of club level, um, South Division coaching, and did that for a number of years, and then started getting involved with the England pathway. So started right at the kind of bottom level of that in terms of JRPC and um, and then worked my way up into Futures Cup and uh, then spent the best part of eight years in the underage uh, on the girls side under 16s as assistant coach and then um, went in in six years as the head coach of the under 18s um, all the time having a, a coaching club career so worked with Wimbledon for a number of years um, four years there and now they're in the Premier League which is fantastic and working with Hampstead, um, who we got up into the Premier League in our first season as coaches. I coached there with Kate Richardson-Walsh. So hopefully I can just bring a different, you know, our my perspective of the journey and share some experiences that hopefully people can relate to as, as we go through the, the chat together here today. And I think your day job's quite an interesting one. And I think one that probably influences your coaching and I think your coaching influences your day job. So do you want to share a little bit of insight on that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I've always had a, a business career alongside my coaching career. And uh, that background really has been in strategy and insight and, and storytelling. So I worked for an agency called Story for years and I became fascinated around storytelling in, in a sporting environment as well. And now I work with Mostly I do my work with Leading Edge, which is a high performance training leadership company. 
And so we support companies in leadership training, high performance team training and culture change transformation. And so thankfully that world's moved virtual in this last year. So I was saying beforehand, I'm as busy as ever and busier um, because we can do so much of that type of work um, online. And I also run my own business called Flourishing Consultancy, which very much around helps teams, individuals, businesses to really flourish in, in the work that they're doing. And I run retreats out in Italy uh, where I have bought a, an old rune many years ago to run retreats. Um, but obviously it's not happening in these COVID times currently, but it, it is a beautiful getaway. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping this summer we'll get back there. Fingers crossed. And you talk about being a curious thinker. And I think it's probably an attribute that we would see in a lot of elite performers at the top level in, in terms of coaching and playing. And you talk about that from a, you started that as a player, but do you think that was a learned skill or was there someone that, you know, sparked that and ignited that curiosity around thinking about yourself and other players as well? Yeah, I, I definitely think that you, you probably have a, a lot of that within yourself um, as well as a person. And I think your home background definitely has an influence in that, but I was very lucky from a young age to, to actually really through my sport to meet some real great coaches and role models to, to believe in my own potential. And I think that helped me to unlock, actually, if you believe in your potential, you, you get curious. And I think it unlocks your curiosity to start thinking around how can you grow? How could you develop you as an individual and, and the people around you? And so, you know, I, I remember my PE teacher in school and I wasn't very confident as a young child but then all of a sudden I had somebody who believed in me and I started believing in myself through my sport and it just completely went in all areas of my life and I started to really grow and I recognized actually being curious about that made me a better press and better player and you know you would you know I remember watching hockey and tv and just being curious around uh how do they do that? I like I learned my how to carry a ball by watching John Shaw on TV and how to do a, you know, a hit shot a back back foot goal from watching Sean Curley. And you just became curious or how are they doing that? And actually, you know, how can I do it and go away and just myself and my friends just mess around? And I think there's so much value around knowing that you can grow from the inspiration from others, but from within yourself as well. And that's something that's been really powerful to maybe the journey I've gone on is, and NLP actually, is this really how to model? How do you, if, if somebody's excellent at something, how do they do it? Can you learn it too? And actually, if we can learn to learn, and if we can teach more people to learn to learn, we're helping them to unlock so many different of their capabilities and potential. And, and that's what I became really interested in. And as a youngster, but then definitely into my playing years and then more so even into my coaching years. And what will be some top tips or examples for coaches to almost just create those opportunities or signpost players to that? Because I think we live in such a hectic world where there's so much information for them. You know, how can we make it exciting and playful and open those opportunities up to be a curious thinker? Yeah, I think you've got to make it engaging. I think you've got to make it like attractive, something that people want to kind of learn about. Um, we've all sat in rooms where people have gone in and told us lots of stuff and, you know, gosh, it's, it's a lot of information. Whereas actually, are you telling them a story? Are you converting it into an experience? 
who's the best person to impart the story that you want to? Is it, you know, you want to get across? Is it bringing a role model into your environment? Is it somebody within your group who has a super skill that they could tell their story? Because peers often, you know, they, they love to listen to each other as well. So how do you absolutely think about the strengths within your group that you can call on? I know one year we had a player and she was doing at school, um, a project on champion mindset. And she had interviewed all of these top sports people. And she told her story brilliantly to everyone and everyone's engaged. And I mean, if I stood there talking about champion mindset, they'd be like, right, Sarah, great. But you know, she stood there and they really brought it on board. So I think coaches, can you get to know your players really well and understand what they're interested in and tap into their curiosity and then amplify that to share with others. And you just, you just grow this environment of just curiosity and learning from each other. Um, and you become a facilitator. Sometimes you just fall into the background and let that happen in front of you, but you do a lot of design around the environment to, you know, and stimulus. I think you throw stimulus in there. Maybe it's a clip, maybe it's, a, you know, an interesting link, maybe it's a provocation. Uh, somebody else who's got a great idea, you get them to throw that in there. So you're always thinking, how do you stimulate interesting discussions um, and, and help young people also to know like how to ask good questions of each other, start to get curious with good questions, just like you're meant to do as a coach. Um, I think one night we had a training session, we were doing a session, we're like, we're not going to bed tonight till we have somebody asking a really good question or or actually, if we don't ask a good question, we'll have grit day tomorrow. And they're like, okay, let somebody ask a really good question here. And they'd have to vote on the quality of questions they were asking each other and how insightful it was. And they may have been hockey questions, but they may also have been about them and their personality and how character is going to help us to deliver on the results we want to create as well. So, so I think there's so many different ways that you can come at it. And do you plan these interactions? You know, are you the sort of coach? And I know one coach in particular, you know, plans his interactions, plans his behaviour around who he might interact with and that goes into the session plan. So actually the content is not just, you know, the stick yeah. and board. I mean, I have a session plan here now and it's like, it's pages of it, you know, because over a camp, my feeling was very much if you planned your roadmap in detail for the three, four days you were together and every kind of in-betweens, even walking to the pitch, what might you be looking to use that time? And Lillishaw, as you will know, there's quite a walk to the pitch as well. Um, and, and then once you have your roadmap, I think you can go off-piste if you want to, but uh, sometimes I'll be mid-camp and say, what do we plan next? Oh, that's, re oh, that's really good. Okay, well, let's stay on track. This is really good. Or we'll go on this and this action, action and I think a big part of it would be pre-work and we would often have, you know, we have a theme, we have a themed kind of based approach and we would know what theme is coming up and we would work on it maybe for a month beforehand or weeks and allow us to really uh, spend time as coaches together, but also share it with the players and get their ideas and involve them. So then actually by the time you got there, you know who's going to actually play bigger parts in it. Um, and then sending out some priming to people beforehand. Um, so actually by the time people have arrived, either they've done priming tasks or just some priming materials. And even in the car on the way up, they might get something around a great video that's gonna prime them for the session or you know, the inspirational piece that's just gonna get everybody arriving in the right headspace. And absolutely then I think you're really planning all of those interventions throughout the number of the, the, the time that you have together so that you can, so, so you can maximize that level of impact around the theme, the kind of what you're really focusing on learning in that journey. And let's talk about then 
that that those themes and the program design, particularly within that England youth setting. Can you share a little bit on your philosophy? Because I think a lot of people would might not have heard about it, or you know, maybe it's not the traditional kind of approach as we would see in a lot of uh, qualifications. So I think it'd be refreshing for people just to have a bit of insight into this. Yeah, absolutely. So. I would talk about a flourishing model of coaching. And when I talk about a flourishing model of coaching, I'm really talking about creating a, a, an environment where players can be themselves. Can they really express their individuality to be their best self? And that's really at the essence of that, that coaching model. And then if you kind of take that down a level, that's where really a, a player-led environment, coaching environment is what you're looking to create. So players can really, you know, feel like they have real ownership of the, the world that they're in and they can feel that they can be themselves truly and express themselves. And I think that's where you get people playing, you feel comfortable to start playing on the edges of your ability. And when you're there, you start doing stuff that you didn't expect that you could do and you feel trusted to be able to try things. So at the essence of that, being okay to make mistakes and actually learning that actually that's how we learn you know we will only grow through making mistakes and actually being consistent as a coaching team and environment you know that you don't do that just in training in the first few weeks but actually you'll do that when you're in the european final just as much as you will throughout that and that that people can express themselves in that way and then that leads very much, if you take that sort of at the higher level philosophy and then into the, the playing philosophy that goes with that. And that's very much this forward fluid uh, style of hockey that we're looking to play so that we can be really dynamic and forward facing. And I talk about the sort of the mantra that we have this pyramid of success that we build of play fast, play hard, play forward at, at that heart of it. And, if we can be really fluid, we can become very unpredictable and hard to play against. Um, and equally then, you know, what we want to do from a defensive point of view is to really be dominant and look to win the back, ball back early and win the ball back high up the pitch. And that sort of goes hand in hand with that sort of philosophy of being difficult to play against, being unpredictable, being quite fluid. Um, but always having that desire to win the ball, ball back and really dominate, you know, whether you're in attack or whether you're in defence. And now do you reflect back and, and do you see where this philosophy kind of came from? You know, do you see the people that planted the seeds for this to happen? Do you see those influences now you're living and breathing your own coaching philosophy? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to as well, you even, your own experience as a player, like when were you felt to be enabled to be your best and you know when you've got that real sense of flow and togetherness and you know if you look at the togetherness of a group of people off the pitch it absolutely goes to that sense of togetherness on the pitch and if you can get that connection you don't have to like everybody in your team but you certainly have to respect everybody in your team and you have to understand each other's strengths and when you get to that sort of space where you get to that higher order understanding of each other, you can start playing some amazing magical hockey that, you know, is, is flowing, it's fluid, it's gritty. You love, you love the challenge moments as much as the flowing moments. You love turning a game back in your favor. And I think knowing what that sort of felt like as a player as well was how do I go about now really helping to create that environment and who and what coaches along the way have really helped to create that in me as well and what other 
inspiration can I take? So I, I suppose in my curiosity way, I went out and started to look at different philosophies of coaching and different approaches and started becoming really interested in those. And you know, I think John Wooden's work, and obviously he's one of the most successful basketball players ever. He had his pyramid of success, which was very values-based. And I took some of that and the work that Tim Galway did in the inner game of tennis, um, essentially business coaching, life coaching, and we, as we know it is, is based on his fundamental thinking around our role as coaches, as our facilitators of unlocking potential and re removing interferences. So actually, what is my role as a coach? My role is this role of, of a facilitator to unlock that potential and create an environment where people can be their best. And actually, can we remove the stuff that gets in the way? And so that really helped me to start thinking about what that meant. And I know for years, I was probably like, you know, the sort of pigeon eye, you take lots of ideas and you put them together and they were quite maybe clunky and, and so still are at times because you're always going to be learning when you take something new. But I think it's about, as a coach, I think going out there and being open-minded and learning from others, but making it your own, taking it on board and turning it into something that you really believe in from sort of that sort of inside out um, and try stuff because we want our players to try stuff. So we should try stuff as well. And we're like, okay, I'm going to try this guys, something I'm playing with at the moment. It might work. It may not work. Can we go with it? And then they'll give you some feedback and right. That didn't quite work. Let's go somewhere else today. <laughs> you know, so you want to, you want to put things into practice because that's where I think you can work out whether they work for you and reflect on them. And you can have a philosophy on, on a word document, can't you? But if you haven't got the behaviors and the, the, the actions that go with it, you know, you really need to try that out. Yeah, completely. I think it's absolutely living that. That's the, that's the important. And I think knowing as well that your philosophy will always evolve. I, I think it's never going to stand still. You're always going to learn and, you know, from people and experience as you go, as you should do, because that's what mastery is. And I think that's why I loved playing and why I love coaching is it's you're on a pathway to mastery. You're always looking to get better. Yeah. Let's go to day one of uh, an under 18 program. And I think there's, you will agree that there's a perception, isn't there, of what an, a, a youth environment should look like, that, you know, they go in and this is you know, how it should be done, dot, 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 dot. And they go in and they see Sarah Keller and they talk about ownership and they might not have had those experiences before. How do you build that up? Because you don't just say, go and do this, do you? You know, there's what is the work that's being done? One, to share your own philosophy, but also to put the players in that position where they are confident and comfortable enough to go and have ownership over their learning. Absolutely, uh, yeah. You're absolutely right. That first day is important to make the kind of right level of um, perceptions. And so one of the things you don't want to do is stand in front and, you know, particularly on a stage, and then you've got your group of players here. So we often, there might be sort of an in overall introduction to the program from, you know, the head of the programs. And then you kind of, I think I remember Lilla Shaw maybe the last time said, okay, everybody come over to here. We're in the big hall. If you can come over and I kind of get this, us all in a quite a random little group and we're all standing shoulder to shoulder in a, and, you know, I'll tell them a story. I remember, you know, um, being in your shoes many years ago, it was many years ago and uh, my first Irish trial and I was, um, at the train station about to jump on the train and I realized I forgot my hockey stick and it was a nightmare because I was so nervous you know and I just try and become a person in front of them and maybe already show my kind of vulnerabilities from the very start so they just see somebody who's they can maybe start understanding this isn't going to be 
you know, a command structure environment and then share them some video and be really excited around some really brilliant clips of we're just going to play some great hockey here. It's all going to play fast, play forward, play hard. We're just going to go for it and enjoy ourselves and freedom to try stuff. So not overly technical or tactical start with just get us playing and enjoying it and celebrating. Um, and then the next sort of, and, and of course we'll weave in of ball carrying those things as we go, but we leave the kind of game design to really bring that on a journey and show video. Cause I think if you show video and give people a visual picture before they go and pitch, it does a lot of work as well. And just start picking out some of the stuff that's really interesting and getting them to pick out some of the stuff that's really interesting. And the beauty of a, a, a program like an under 18 program is you've got players from the year before and actually how do you use those players to help the new players so you buddy system up people you plan your teams really clear, carefully so you mix groups and you just stay very present and aware to make sure that you're having conversations with everybody even if it's a little you know quick chat and somebody on the sideline um, in an informal way asking them how their car journey was you know how are you feeling and just trying to be very personable um, and early on in the program we would do like a creativity camp and uh, creativity is all about trying stuff and making mistakes and we would make it like a, a playground of creativity so um, you know, on the side of the pitch, they might have a double card off and whoever wins can have, a, you know, one of them have to do a funny walk and the other will have, you'll have an extra player in your team. We'll have a Jenga building thing going on. Um, and by the end of it, we'll have them designing creative games using multiple different sports and then taking that creativity into designing hockey games. So we're already getting them to design practices around some key areas, but in a very fun way. Um, and we'll always make sure they get, you know, they name their teams, we we'll keep a board of results, um, and then we'll celebrate those results as we go. And when you, when you keep competition on the go, you can find moments of challenge where you can really twist, okay, we're here now, how can you go to win this next bit, but do it in a really enjoyable um, and engaging way for players, um, and then celebrate that as you go through. Because I don't think we've enough celebration of the good stuff, and I think that's a great foundation for us to to create success and openness to learning. And if you have a 16, 17 year old come into the program, you know, it could be five, 10 years before they even get anywhere near a, a senior international program. So to enjoy the journey is, you know, is probably so valuable. And something you speak about there is, is feel. And I don't think as coaches, we speak about feel enough. Um, when I worked with Quan Brown, he was massive on feel. Maybe it's the Trinidad roots of the dancing and owning the ball, but feeling. Yeah, such an underrated value in, in coaching. Yeah, and it was interesting because I think when I uh, came across um, Tim Galway's work on the inner game of tennis, it was all around noticing feel and it was less around you coaching instructions. It was much more around giving people, starting to notice skills. And when we know ourselves, when we feel we've got something, you know it intuitively. So how do that feel? And when you're in flow and when you have the ball right on your stick in the right way and you know, okay look at that person over there look at you how does that feel you've just done it there what did that feel like it was spot on if you can do it once you can do it a million times it's just practice so i think uh, going into that area of allowing people to feel and then there isn't just one way of doing things i think people will find their own sense of what feels right for them through that process as well. Um, and I think as coaches, you're right, we can put like a real lens on that 
for people and and learn a lot it's a great way to start noticing getting people to notice what they're doing and how they're feeling because the only person who owns the feel the feelings is the person who owns the feelings in a sense you know so you got to go with that and, and really kind of be in the moment to guide their growth from there yeah. let's talk about assistant coaches you know as the head coach you'd always have at least one if not two where how do you pull those assistant coaches with you how do you share your philosophy with them you know is there sometimes a bit of a conflict which you know to me creates a bit of creativity um but how are you bringing those and sharing those you know assistant roles with you yeah i mean i i would i suppose my again i i would see what are our strengths as a coaching team i i would always have looked to remove the sense of hierarchy because i think I would see us much more like a co-coaching team that we all bring different strengths to the table and didn't want to necessarily start becoming, you know, okay, you're going to look after this area. I'm going to look after this. Let's see how it evolves. And actually, you know, we can twist and turn responsibilities as we go through as well. And sometimes it feels more natural depending on people's strengths to kind of put more of a focus on certain areas than others. Um, so I think the key thing for me was for us to be seen as a coaching team and really playing to everyone's strengths and, and having that sort of equal level of input and um, creativity to all of the kind of discussions. And obviously, as a head coach, you're, you, you've got some ultimate responsibility for making sure everything is planned, the level it needs to be. And when it comes to final decision making and selection, you, you do need to take those responsibilities. But I think listening to people's perspective, I think is really valuable and where you have differences to stay in that space. Don't, don't push away from it too early and really look at it from both angles. And oftentimes you'll say, actually, now I see where you're coming from. And that makes a lot of sense. Or what if we did a blend of these thinking? So if we can go into open-minded and what if thinking, I think we can get to a, a better place and you want to be able to challenge each other and you want your players to challenge you too so i think that's the kind of environment you should role model to as a coaching team and i think you almost want 11 or you want 15 depending on how many players you've got in your squad you want them to be the coaches as well don't you i think particularly out in the field the ability to reflect and notice things yeah completely i mean ultimately they're the decision makers they're the ones who play the game aren't they so i think you know we've we've very much that sort of player-led view is you're creating people who can like can own those decision making moments and you know we've we've created we would have a finding flow cam and the chaos camp where we would just throw chaos at the players so they would learn to kind of navigate that themselves and take ownership and not look to the coach to sort these key moments out and you know I think some of them might have been their first cap like we were playing Ireland and us as a coaching team didn't turn up for the the pre-match talk and you know they need to now take this on and they had to we had primed them to do all match analysis where they've watched us play against Ireland before planned how they would like to play obviously we had players from the year before who played in the europeans or a six nations who could guide those conversations so then they literally ran their tactics the only thing they could do was ask us questions and initially we would answer the questions in the end we would just give them a score out of one to ten whether we thought it was a good question and you know we'd uh, half time we'd get them to swap sticks so we had people playing out of positions and um and it, you know and and turning those into you know real life scenarios when they do happen to you then they're ready and I think we've seen that so much and we were at the Europeans and we were playing for the bronze medal and our captain 
got sick that night and uh you know she's a really Fiona Prackle's really brilliant player who just got her senior caps and you know and the next thing just before the game people are vomiting in buckets and and the players are really calm they knew exactly what to do and you know we went out and won that game and won a bronze medal even though the odds were against us because we practiced for that so I think but that's them feeling comfortable with themselves and being able to make those decisions and know how to to be okay when the world around you feels chaotic. And I can vouch for that, having seen my sister uh, collect her medal with you there. So yeah, definitely. Let's, um, so what you've taught, spoke about a lot is kind of changing behavior, you know, in, in your players. And I know you're quite intentional around kind of being an architect of that learning and that program. So what hurdles or little walls would you put in place to change that behavior? Because I know there's some intentional things you would plan into the program. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I do like that idea of, of that architects. I do think we are designers of our environments. Um, and I would I would look a lot to even behavioral economics around these key aspects. So if and I talked already about priming as a key part of that, you know, we can be primed to get to a certain state. And how are you through your language and through the stimulus that you're sharing, priming people to be where they need to be to deliver on a training session or you know, going into a tournament. So that's a really key thing. We also know that actually the sort of social norms, that the social interactions that people have amongst each other, if you can create an environment where people feel really comfortable to share their stories and to, to own that environment and feel comfortable to lead team talks and you know share their insights with each other and you're the facilitator of that i think you're creating this environment of that player ownership and i think you're you're always looking to design that within to within everything that you're looking to do so um in terms of you know some of the some of the stuff is really straightforward in in terms of what you're looking to do um and some of it's maybe more creative um you know and so player ownership goes from actually you know like we're saying sometimes not turning up for something but other times it's actually sitting down with players and just asking them what they want right now of you as coaches and listening to that and then delivering that and because i do think you play along a spectrum there's sometimes where you have to be coach-led and right now you have to guide um and sometimes you leave players in a moment where they're unsure where to go next and leave them there because they might make decisions that are not helpful and decisions that are and that moment of learning is really useful for them and sometimes you'll intervene because actually you know you want them to have success in this moment because the success will build more success so you've got it's just it's been observant to those moments of learning and which way you should go depending on where your end game is um, but a big part of the program we would have is this idea of storytelling as well. So if you create experiences that people can remember, they're much more engaging. So we would have a storytelling team or a media team, they'd call themselves as well. And we had our Instagram site, which unfortunately got hacked and shut down, which is a shame. But the important thing here is that you'd have a theme around the camp and, and the, the players would capture lots of content and then create a little video afterwards or maybe a mood board or something. And it was just really emotive because again, if we can create experiences that really engage people, they remember them much more. And um, a key part of sort of learning as well in behavioral economics is this idea of peak end experience. You remember the last bit, you remember the first bit and the last bit. So you need to really make those really memorable. And then you have to layer the learning constantly for it to stick. So whether you can get your team to 
create a, a super cool piece of content that actually re reminds everybody of that learning. Um, or we would do stuff around um, individual having to create a video of their character strengths or videos of skills they're doing. So you're getting them to engage in much more kind of storytelling way, which we know we're wired for stories and that's where we do most of our learning. So these are the type of things that we'd like to put into play to really create that environment. And if we have to zoom in on your session design in terms of the real kind of content, uh, what would you say some of your principles of design are that kind of stay with you both in your Hampstead roles and um, kind of the England stuff when you was involved there? What are your principles of design? Yeah, I mean, I think a key piece is, I, I think when you, particularly when you look down that sort of constraint-led model, there's times for you to, to go into, um, depending on what you need to, you're focusing, are you going very kind of game-based learning where the game is really teaching us what we need to do? Or are there times when we really need to pull out and do some block practice? And I think you as a coach need to know where you're playing. Um, I love the idea of gamification around metacognition as well. So can we gamify some of the work that we're doing as well? Uh, you know. I, God, I have an eight-year-old son and we're gamifying all the stuff that we do constantly. And he's he goes to great football practice called Football for Fun. And it's amazing the teaching they're doing there. And he's always putting scoring in and he dialing up the challenge for me. And I'm like, Kaylin, you're just dialing up the challenge here. You're going to make me too competitive now, you know? And I think, how do you create that environment where people understand how to, to dial up the, to the challenge for each other and, and, and interest and engagement? Um, a key principle of, of mine would be the idea of flow. So how, and obviously um, Mihai sent Mihai uh, did all of the research around flow many years ago where actually when are we at our best, we're in flow. That's, you know, that unthinking when, you know, all those voices in your head just disappear and you can be yourself. And that's the ideal. I'd love us to have flow in our training sessions and flow in our games and then that kind of puts us into flowing hockey. And for that, we've got to make sure we put those voices, those gremlins to one side. And, you know, we, we do work around our gremlins so we can call them out to each other when we see them popping up. Um, but a key principle of flow in a, in a training session would be how do you bring twists and turns in? How do you bring things in where people just didn't expect that to happen next? So what's your session design that's gonna bring that twist and turn? And I think while you have a, a, a quite a robust plan around that, you're also in the moment and you're reading actually what could happen now. If we did this, where could we get to? Um, and, I, and maybe sometime asking players, where do you think we can take this now as well? So it's trying to bring that real engagement and love of what you're doing into every session that you're having um, and making it in a way that you could always drive us to get better through that engagement. And that and that is sort of core core principles. And I think within that, you really bake in all of the technical and tactical side within those. And then if needed, you can coach the technical side as you see it. The game, it should be delivering on your technical focus or your tactical focus. If it's not, you can just have some more conversations around that or pull some people out or you know, go back into tell mode if you need to, whatever is needed for that player and that individual at that time or another, another player group can really help that group to really develop and coach each other uh, within it. So I think that dynamic of just um, really planning in detail and I think the planning that goes in is, is some time to be able to be, be yourself in the moment and to go with flow yourself as a coach. Um, but again, I think the priming that you do around the session, I think is really important, what you've sent out beforehand, or maybe we would often go into in, in um, 
at Lila Show, we've got the cabin there. We can go in for five minutes and just show some quick video if we need to around some of the key things that we're looking at or, or what's the mindset that we want to create at the moment. And that's really important to that priming. And then again, at the end of each session, how do you create a peak end of that session? You know, is there something to really celebrate or what's the key reflection here? Or is there a real consequence, you know, that people, you know, want to avoid and not take part of um, as part of that? So how are you creating that environment to, to make sure that you've, you've dialed up an opportunity for, for real engagement and learning? And I'm a big believer in that reflection probably is the golden ticket to learning, you know, capturing those experiences and understanding what you're good at, where you need to, you know, see and notice more things. But planning that and putting it into your session, those five, 10 minutes at the end are probably going to save you so much more time come the next session because you're not having to backtrack because there's been some sort of interaction to close it, but also start something else. Yeah, and I think you can do that through sessions. Sometimes we'd have a whiteboard on there and people would have to write a reflection mid-session. They might get a point for something if, let's say, they have an IDP, Individual Development Plan, and if they do it, they get a point for whatever their focus is on it. And actually, if somebody notices they do it, a buddy notices they do it, they get a point as well. And if they have given feedback to that person in session, why they thought what they did was good, they'll get point. And their team will get the points for reflection and noticing. And then they can also draw a little picture around what they've done as well, you know? So I think you wanna do it in session as well. And part of your coaching obviously is around getting that, you know, live feedback, live, live reflection. Um, and part of our themes we would do as well is let's say we do have a, a champion mindset camp. We would get everyone to vote on who they felt represented what a champion mindset is. And of course, we will have taken this concept of champion mindset on a run with us across the camp and the players from the year before will know how that turned up in tournaments. And so everyone has a real sense of, you know, what this means and then they vote. And then actually, so we usually have two or three people that actually get voted and we have prizes and, and that side of thing. And, and then we'll tell them who won the award last year and who won the year. So Esme Burge won this award last year. Alice Roth won this award last year, you know, and it just helps build this sort of story of, and then we would have put that on our Instagram or it would add it into our kind of video, our storytelling of that, that camp as well. So and we might interview them. Why do you think you've won this champion mindset award? And they've got to reflect. So you're making reflection, not something that's dull and dry. It's just lived in the moment. And I think that's again, key to how we grow and develop in a way that we really kind of love that process of growing, which I think is key. Which very much comes back to the first point you made around, you know, creating learners and creating people that are yeah. willing to learn and take on. And I suppose just one thing I was going to say is, you know, when we talk about reflection, it's probably not asking questions that just get a one word response. They're almost asking questions that, you know, players can share a story, share an experience. It's not that your yes or no responses that you have to be quite intentional around that. Yeah, I think a lot of players know how to play those questions as well. You know, we come back with the sort of keywords. It's about communication. It's, you know, it's trying to avoid those Q&A puddles that really everyone's sort of disengaged from because they're playing a game around it. So how do you be more creative and, you know, get them to ask each other the best question that they thought was going to help them grow and get them to vote on it. And, you know, maybe you give them three questions on a piece of paper. I've got three, I think, golden ticket questions here that will help you. Which one do you want? You know, and it's like all of a sudden there's a different level of interaction just by doing that. And obviously the the coaching cars that you guys have are amazing for that level of interaction as well. Just 
giving people choice to pick something from a number of cards on there. They feel ownership, but you've already purposely really designed your your plan around the cards that you want to use so actually whatever they pick it's going in the right direction but they feel they have real choice and there's something tangible about holding something in your hand as well so giving players coaching boards to to use giving them you know cards giving them bands to wear all of that sort of live experience I think is really important for that level of engagement and ownership if we're looking for a player ownership it's all about autonomy them making decisions and then them really feeling like they've owned that environment. And I think particularly on the cards that you know we created the reflection match play cards, it was quite intentional that if something's on a card, it doesn't feel as intrusive. It doesn't yes. feel like actually the coach is asking the question, the card is asking it. So I think you'll get a you get a different response, don't you? And I say to a lot of coaches, you don't have to always listen to the response. You might just hover over and pick out the key words. Absolutely. I do a lot. Yeah, exactly. A lot of just leaving groups and you're kind of just maybe having a chat to another coach, but you're kind of listening in from the side as well. And, you know, come get us if you want to, but ideally, you, you, you know, you don't off you go. And I think you're absolutely right. And uh, yeah, I think the the cards absolutely bring another level of creativity into the environment. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, you've done a good job with those. I love them. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I've told you know, so many people it. about them. <laughs> it's like, Very grateful to but I suppose just an example of that is, is half time. You know, I go into a lot of environments, probably like yourself, and you you see one coach standing at the top speaking to 15 players, but they haven't got any individual feedback. They haven't shared their experiences or going to support their future decisions. And I know something you do with the cards and you kind of in your own practices, you know, go into mini groups at half time just to really capture that learning to support future decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know with the under 18s, we would, you know, we might have a coaching table there, you know, Sabutio table and let a group have a look at that and another group have a look at this and then come back together because 10 minutes is quite a long time, actually. So it's it's and also just that initial let's let's just have a bit of breathing space for a moment and have a few individual conversations and hear hear what your co-captains have to say as well in that regard, because I think you want to try and really involve them in feeling that ownership because what you're doing with those you know we would always have a, a leadership team of about six players and always rotating our co-captains because what you want to do is create a team of leaders so then in those leadership moments you want them to be able to lead as well so I think that's and it's great when you know you step there and next thing you come and you see these young players all of a sudden having a quite a motivating talk about the impact that they're having and what they can do. And it, it can be quite emotional sometimes when it just happens, you know, and you're like, I'm not needed here. This is great. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely, I think it's a planned interaction again, isn't it? You know, I know a lot of people would plan their half times, you know, who are they going to speak to their game drivers? Or it's not just our players come over, really plan and, you know, who do you need to speak to? Maybe who, who do you not need to speak to? You know, who are the people that are happy to, to go through? Yeah, and we, we have done a lot of work around, um, you know, us on a good day and us on a bad day as well. And, you know, get players to draw pictures of that and uh, and really then spend time like helping each other as well. Um, because actually the whole bench interaction is a really interesting time. I think the whole game is a learning opportunity and, you know, different players want different things from you as a coach and from their teammates. So remember last year one of the players she was she was very specific in terms of what she needed and she um really 
really needed to grow that sort of emotional control in the game and seeing her journey over the few years was incredible and I remember one of our it was our last camp actually before lockdown and we stood there and and it was after playing games against Ireland and she had gone through some maybe a rock, rocky period but then she stood with the team and said she thanked everybody like from the bottom of her heart about the support they gave her on the pitch and knew how to support her and she, how much she'd grown in that area and like she really spoke so well so emotional and she had the attention of the whole team and that's because they'd really shared vulnerably their vulnerability around their real challenges and what they needed from each other and I think that's where on the bench, this, these, these kind of interactions between players, when players come on and off, how can each, how can players help each other as well, I think is really important. And as you say, how do people want to be interacted with and who's going to add value to that? And um, I think it's, it's a really interesting part, the role you play on a pitch sideline as a coach or don't play. But yes, absolutely. Um, thank you so much. So it's, um, you know, I think so refreshing to hear the approach and I'm sure there's a lot of stuff for the coaches to take away and is there any way they can get in touch what would be a good way to if they have any questions to reach out to you um yeah I mean I'm on I'm on Twitter um so absolutely just connect with me there um I'm not I'm not you know I'm, I'm quite good at staying away from Twitter as well I think I need social breaks from from technology at times as well but yeah just reach out on, on Twitter or you know, get in contact through yourself if you need to as well. But I'm always very open to have conversations and love having good hockey conversations with people as well and development conversations. So, no, absolutely. Yeah, Sarah, thanks so much for your time and thanks for all the hard work that you're doing. And I think the, the future is exciting, particularly with the players that you've worked with and where they're going to head, having had the experiences, which I think is one of the biggest takeaways from, from my experience in this conversation is actually where, where you're putting players, not where you're you know, you just keep taking them. Absolutely. And I think you feel really proud looking at, you know, how players are, you know, going on to that level of, of success. And but it's it's not just on the hockey pitch. It's actually people, you know, in their lives, the success that they have. And you hope those experiences really stay with them as a person, because I know myself what I've learned, you know, on the pitch as a hockey player has stood to me in all areas of my life. And I think you need to know as a coach, you have that privilege in your hand um, in your hands at, in everything that you do and you should really do your best by by that yeah. i like the saying you don't want to be someone's last coach yeah i think that's a really nice phrase that i <laughs> that's a great absolutely brilliant so thanks so much uh keep up the thank great you. work and thanks again all right you take care thank you so much as well Thank you for listening to the European Hockey Federation podcast, presented by Coaching Lab and supported by IFOH Academy. Follow European Hockey Federation on social media to keep in touch. <laughs>